0: Since Cuba's 1959 revolution led by Fidel Castro and Ernesto Che Guevara, the United States has tried its best to assassinate both leaders and overthrow its popularly supported leftist government. Although Che was killed in 1967, Fidel survived numerous assassination attempts and died um, of natural causes in 2016. Uh, Despite ongoing attempts to destabilize and isolate Cuba, its government and economic system, they are still holding on. Nevertheless, over the years, and it is to be expected in every country, there have been dissidents, there have been protests and protesters uh, against uh, the the Cuban government, particularly its uh, socialist uh, makeup. According to the United Nations, the unjust U.S. blockade on Cuba has cost the country's economy $130 billion over nearly six decades. The U.N. has adopted a non-binding resolution calling for an end to the blockade with overwhelming support every year since 1992, with Israel and the United States maintaining support for the U.S. blockade. Former President Barack Obama attempted to end key parts of the blockade, but Congress did not allow it. Despite this, he reestablished relations with Cuba, eased the travel ban on the country, permitted U.S. banks to open accredited accounts in Cuban banks, removed Cuba as a so named quote unquote state sponsor of terror, and met with former Cuban. President Raul Castro on a trip to Cuba. President Obama and Michelle Obama, you may remember the family, did visit Cuba. By the time Donald Trump came into power in 2017, however, all of this was reversed, and U.S. policy toward Cuba once again harshened. And keep in mind that Obama beat Biden in Florida uh, pretty handily, and he definitely won among Uh, Cuban exiles. Uh, Today, the U.S. supports dissidents in Cuba by providing funds for anti-government activists and media organizations. So Let's go to a clip now from BBC and their take on what's
1: happening in Cuba. Let's move on now because the Cuban authorities have taken a hard line after the biggest anti-government demonstrations in 30 years. After thousands took to the streets in the capital Havana and other cities across the country, police used pepper spray and beat some of the protesters. The crowds are unhappy with food shortages, high prices, and the authorities' handling of the COVID pandemic. Well, Cubans have been angered by the collapse of the economy. Last year, Cuba's state-controlled economy shrank by 11%. Now, that's its worst decline in almost three decades. It's been pretty hard hit by the pandemic, too. And, of course, those U.S. sanctions imposed by the Trump administration. More than 200 new sanctions were imposed on the island's economy during Trump's tenure. And the Biden administration, well, they haven't lifted any of them. Protesters are also angry at a shortage of vaccines. The country reports a record of nearly 7,000 daily infections and 47 deaths on Sunday alone. That's twice as many as the previous week. Tanya Dendrinos sent this
2: report. Chanting for freedom. Not a cry often heard in Havana. Cubans took to the streets in what the opposition has called the biggest anti government protests in almost three decades.
3: State security beat me and my daughter. They beat us because we were walking down the street. We are here because of the repression against the people. They are starving us to death. Havana is collapsing. We have no house, we have nothing. But they have money to build hotels, and they have us
2: starving. Demonstrations were also held in Florida, where the Cuban exile community showed its solidarity. Cuba's president has blamed the United States for the unrest, laying down a threat for anti-government protesters. We came here to show,
3: together with the revolutionaries of this town, that here the street belongs to the revolutionaries. No worm or mercenary will claim the streets, and if they provoke us... Without violating their constitutional rights, we will confront them.
2: Words spurring on supporters of the communist government. All righty,
0: and uh, there you hear some of the sound uh, from the protests in Cuba, and uh, you also heard that protesters spoke out against uh, reported shortages of food and medicine, as well as the government's response to the ongoing uh, COVID pandemic. They also spoke out against what they describe as government censorship and mismanagement of the economy. Uh, So just sorting and helping us to sort out what's really happening, what's going on on the ground. I'd like to welcome Laura Carlson, director of the Americas Program and works with Just Associates, an international feminist organization. She's based in Mexico City, a regular contributor to America's Updater, Foreign Policy and Focus, Counterpunch, and several Spanish language publications. She's also a television host and commentator on globalization, the drug war, immigration, and gender issues for various international news outlets and she's a a regular on our weekly round table so Laura Carlson we are glad you're able to join us today thank you thank you Margaret it's a pleasure to be here okay so uh, Laura Carlson I mean given the decades of the economic boycott of Cuba orchestrated by the United States Should one be surprised that there is now economic hardship? I mean, a lot of people think it's amazing that Cuba has continued as it has, given that level of pressure uh, coming from the United States. Laura Carlson.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It's not surprising at all, and it's a tragic situation, which makes the manipulation of these current protests even more cruel. As a geopolitical move, in large part coming from the United States, what we're seeing now is that there are people in the streets. They're not nearly the number of people in the streets that we've seen in other countries proportionally. Um, and in fact, the, the news media has been has been blatantly manipulating uh, both the dimensions and the demands of these protests there's no question whatsoever that cuba has been hit hard by the pandemic and even more so by the overall global recession and economic crisis that the pandemic has caused they talked about 11 percent decline in the economy that's about par for latin american countries that's a little bit more you know what we saw happened after we result the lockdown um, last year and in in the context of these sanctions, the drastic sanctions that are not only from the United States, but as we know, they involve uh, sanctions against other countries that would do business with Cuba as well, which is probably an extra legal extension of U.S. power on the Court to international law. And in the context of this, it's, it's really had a major impact. So you see people in the streets kind of protesting, the lack of food and the lack of medicine which is which is true, and then you also see some people who are protesting against the government itself. The reason I think it's an orchestrated campaign is because there's a considerable amount of evidence, just hard evidence, to indicate that in fact it is. When we began to research and some other web experts and research where this hashtag SOS Cuba Came from um, some of the usual international right wing suspects came up, including in Argentina and in other places, and there was a pattern of replication of exact messages, of the use of the hashtag, and how it began. You know, that would indicate that we're not looking at just a grassroots opposition campaign here, but something that, that's, been, that's been planned. And this is also not at all surprising when we consider the millions of dollars that the National Endowment for Democracy and other very wrongly called democracy promotion programs in the United States have to Cuba. Just to give an idea, there's a program of like six hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which may not seem a lot to giant philanthropists in the United States, but to the islands it's huge for to something they invented called the Human Democratic Directorate. And it specifically says in the description, you know, to promote the group will support civic activities carried out by civil society. Activists in Cuba produce radio programs, prioritizing um, uh, the issues such as the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic on the economy and many of the issues that we've come together here. So at the same time, as they're prohibiting families from spending $20 a week to family members who who have trouble getting food, you know, and at a very difficult time, they're at the same time sending millions of dollars to promote destabilizing activities.
0: Right. And Laura Carlson, I, I read that actually just on the propaganda front, that the united states I, I think the figure was something like 24 million dollars a year uh goes into supporting uh various media outlets um some artists etc um you know to basically uh to push opposition to the government there in uh in cuba and we also know that um, most Cubans, including President Miguel diaz Canal, have pointed out that the decades-long U.S. blockade in Cuba is responsible for economic woes on the island. Now, some of the protesters, a number of whom are younger, are saying, uh, not so fast. So... You know, because they don't have that historic memory of the revolution and what Cuba was like, perhaps, uh, than some of the older uh, people. But you also see that anti government protest movements supported by U.S. outfits like the National Endowment for Democracy and the Agency for International Development. I mean, underscoring your particular point. And the U.S. always had an interest in pushing Cuba to install a market-oriented capitalist um, uh, regime uh, like we have in the United States. And uh, Laura, the other thing, breaking news now, is that uh, Cuban-American protesters have shut down an expressway in Miami uh, this morning and uh, pushing uh, Biden to take further measure measures against the Cuban government and Cuban Americans are also rallying
3: in Tampa, um, Laura Carlson. Well, that's probably one of the, one of the scariest things about what's going on now, the way it has been orchestrated with the Miami hardcore Cubans there, which don't represent, um, the entire Cuban American community just as the pro- protesters don't represent the entire Cuban population in um, within Cuba as well, and so we have these just really very highly illegal and um, and frightening statements coming out like by the mayor of Miami. This is what is calling for open intervention at this time. Um, one of the responses that we've seen in other countries in Latin America, in particular where cuba is is uh it has a very played a very important role as an example of breaking out of u.s hegemony is that there's there's very serious surprise that the biden administration has abandoned um, cuban policy to this hardcore group out of miami it wasn't something that people expected especially after. A different position within the Obama administration, and so now we have once again Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, you know, calling the shots in terms of the policy toward Cuba, which has repercussions throughout the Caribbean area and also, of course, throughout Latin America and Latin America as well. So there's a lot of concern and a lot of uh, of disappointment, certainly, on the part of. Um, in newspapers throughout Latin America, that you can see in terms of this 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 line that the Biden administration is taking and the way that it's giving up the authority in terms of the policy making here to um, you know very well known hardcore leaders within within Florida. So there's a lot of people that are going to pay a huge human price for that. Um, when they talk about the violence in, in, in these protests, as you can see, the violence is 100% on the side so far of the protesters. There isn't a single video of um, of a police crackdown that's happening within there. Uh, the violence has been a, against the police, um, and there have been some arrests made so far, but it's just... a it strong contrast, remember the last time we talked, I was in Colombia, that was just a few days ago, and there were protests against an authoritarian government in Colombia that have been going on since April 28th. Where's the press on that one? And in the Colombian protest, 84 people have been assassinated, the majority already by all evidence available by security forces themselves. Women are being picked up by the police, and carried around, you know, ridden around in a patrol car and sexually tortured in order to keep them from daring to go back into the streets to practice their right to civil civil protest. There have been over 80 young people who have lost an eye, like we saw in Chile, which is the authoritarian government's method of making them an example of the cost of protesting in the country, but people in the streets in Cuba is not a demonstration that the Cuban government has failed. It's a demonstration that, like any other country, there are going to be people who are protesting. That's part of how a democracy operates. And to use that to say, see, the government failed is completely contradictory to any kind of standard we apply to any other country.
0: Yes, including uh, the United States. I'm so glad you you brought out the example of Colombia. And it was only recently that the Caribbean region, in fact, most of the world yet again called for an end of this kind of economic pressure because it was pretty much Trump and and some of his uh, predecessors, Republican predecessors, saying that what we have to do with Cuba is to starve people out. And that's what the economic boycotts are about. So it's not surprising at all that people have taken uh, to the streets um, on, on this, and also it's it's given uh, you know a new lease of life, it seems, on the uh, Cuban Americans in Florida uh, who are so supportive and enamored uh, by the GOP. Um, but uh, Laura uh, Carlson, I mean, you have spent time on the ground. Uh, in Cuba. And, you know, over the years, we have heard of things like uh, black people in Cuba, that some black people in Cuba are saying, uh, talking about racism in Cuba when the government was trying to say there was no such thing as racism in Cuba, which we all know, black people everywhere know that that likely is not true because wherever we are in the world we see the darker we are there seems to be that level of discrimination against us so there there has been this kind of tug of war of of opposition in Cuba trying to uh get their message out and their voices heard with the backing of millions of uh US dollars so you're taking just the reality on the ground. But before that, I just want to play a short clip because it wasn't only the people protesting. And it was interesting, the BBC focused on the fact that they were protesting against uh, food shortages, uh, you know, economic issues, as well as what was happening with COVID. But there were also pro-government protesters. And I just want to play a short clip of that and then have you give your final thoughts, Laura Carlson.
2: Words spurring on supporters of the communist government, some taking it upon themselves to surround and detain those demonstrating, while others staged counter-protests.
3: We are defending what we did 60 years ago, that this is ours, that it has cost many lives, that capitalism will never come back here again, and that these mercenaries, paid by the empire... Will never again take our streets. They will have to kill us all first.
0: They'll have to kill us all first. Um, uh, Laura Carlson, very, very passionate uh, person there, uh, believing in the. Cuban revolution. Laura Carlson, your final thoughts, because Cuba has, to, it seems that they have really held on against what people are calling the empire. For decades now, since 1959, they somehow have managed to survive. When you see the United States throughout the Americas, when there is a government that isn't um, committed to capitalism, committed to the kind of uh, market economy that is practiced in the United States and parts of Europe, although Europe does have uh, much more of a welfare state than the United States does. Uh, So just give us your final thoughts here on the significance of Cuba. Yeah, well, and
3: I'm very glad for the question about the protest, because... um, because it's important to say that Cuba could, the Cuban government could have responded better to, in my opinion, to these protests. That, uh, it could be a very important moment for them to open up into a dialogue. They have even recognized that there are supporters of the revolution who are within the protests, but that are just feeling like the food shortages and the general standard of living in amid this crisis is unbearable at this time. There's exaggerated messages. There's no proof whatsoever that anyone is dying of hunger, as the press has been wont to say. You know, but, but it's a very difficult time. And instead of calling out pro-revolutionaries to the street, which could exacerbate tensions, you know, it could be a moment to say, this is what we're dealing with these are the impacts of the sanctions. This is how we're doing with COVID. 15% of the population is vaccinated. They're still working on their, um, you know, they're still working on vaccinations, their own vaccinations, but to just explain very openly to, to the population what's going on because there is a lack of historical memory. It is hard for young people to accept sacrifices um, that are the result of actions that didn't happen within their lifetime to understand how the world economy is working against them um, and creating, creating pretty serious hardships within their lifetime. So, so that would be a response that made a lot more sense. And on the part of the U.S. government, 243 maximum pressure measures by Donald Trump. And Joe Biden could lift those with a pen, and he has not done so. Um, there's a possibility of taking a humanitarian approach at this point. What if we just said that human lives matter more than capitalist ideology? You know, what if we just said that family reunification and the beauty, the ability to live a dignified life in your own in your own home in your own way through self determination is what we stand for? Our policies would look completely different, and life. Four Cubans on the ground would look completely different as well. So the further we can move toward that, and the further that people look critically at what they're hearing in the news, and at what they're hearing about life in Cuba, of course it's not perfect. No one's saying it's a paradise, you know? We know there's racism, we know there's sexism, we know there's significant advances in human development, and humans that are recognized worldwide. Um, There's just no point in the persecution that's gone on now for years since the revolution and that's really damaged so many lives. Right. Well,
0: thank you so much, Laura Carlson, shedding some light for us on what's going on. And for those of us in the Caribbean region, of course, I hail from the Caribbean region uh, and also on the continent of Africa, there is such a different image of uh, Cuba. Um, than we here in the United States. Uh, Cuba is known for all of its assistance to the Caribbean region as well as the continent. So, Laura Carlson, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.